everyone. Hi, hello. It is me, Allison Rosen. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here with Mary Catherine Ham, and this is your fourth time Whoa. on the show. I also was surprised because I thought maybe it was your third, but no, you're in a special club of four. Wow. I thought it was third too. Nope. There was another one. There was another one in there somewhere. All right. Well, I have had two kids, so I can be forgiven for getting things. Yes, and last time you were on, you were pregnant with your second. I was, mm-hmm. and I don't think I would, had told anybody at that point. No, I think you told, told me you. privately after the show. That's true. And I think either the first or second time, I'm wondering if you were pregnant then as well. One of the times I was seven months pregnant, Okay, I remember. Right. Or like fairly pregnant. Yes. I just remember being fairly pregnant. That's all I know. Are you pregnant right now? No. Okay. <laughs> All right. So it's not a streak then. <laughs> no. So anyway, um, lots of stuff to get into. Your life has changed quite a bit since we last talked. Yes. I mean, not since we last talked off mic, but since we last talked on mic. So we can get into that. But um, but first, I'm just wondering, what is bringing you to LA right now? Uh, I came out for a speech at an event called Politicon, which is mm-hmm. sort of like a Comic-Con style politics, or that's the envisioning of it. And I was on a couple panels and I decided if they're going to fly me out there, I'm going to make it really hard on myself and bring my children and stay for a week <laughs> because that's the kind of thing that I do. No, but I had a friend who's uh, who has a daughter exactly the same age as my daughter. Mm-hmm. They have a pool. We hung out there, had all the baby stuff, had a great time. Did it some work really while I was nice. here as well. I saw, I saw on Instagram. And you went to Disneyland? We went to Disneyland, treated the almost three-year-old to Disneyland, which is key because she's free. Really? For now. Up until three. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. She's free. So she went and met Mickey and Minnie, put a, set up some tea party dates with them. <laughs> that was her agenda going in. And she she really worked hard on it. What were your speeches about at Politicon? One was about sort of the millennial take on the 2016 election. And it was interesting because there were liberals and conservatives on the panel, but all the teams are mixed up this year because mm-hmm. of Trump and Hillary and all everybody sort of being generally dissatisfied or right. most people being generally <laughs> dissatisfied. And so it was actually an interesting conversation because nobody had their team jersey on properly, mm-hmm. sort of backwards or sideways. <laughs> there was no consensus. It was just, but there was a general sense of dissatisfaction. I mean, even the pro-Trump or pro-Hillary folks on the panel were not excited about that per se. Right. Right. Here we are all together. (laughs) It's Um, unifying in a way. So I knew that you were flying out on Thursday with your two kids. Um, What I didn't realize, though, is that it took you till Friday to get here. So what happened? It took 17 hours to get here. You were flying out from D.C., right? Yes. I flew from D.C. to L.A. (laughs) That shouldn't take that long. 17 hours later. It was weather. There were many delays. The upside is now I know I can take both of my children by myself to Southeast Asia (laughs) if we want to go on vacation uh, because I've been there. And it was just a bunch of delays. And we ended up flying D.C. to Cincinnati to Atlanta. So 10 hours in, we were in Atlanta about to board a flight to LAX. But this was my cosmic reward. I sat across the aisle from Tyrese. Wow. And he was very nice to my children. 
especially for somebody getting on a flight at 9.40 p.m. who could have been like, why do you have these children on this flight? <laughs> so, yay. Now, before the show started, we, you and I were talking about how you naturally tend to be a relaxed person. Yes. And I naturally do not really. Um, how, how did you handle all this travel stress? And how'd your kids handle it? Oh, I'm much better with my kids traveling than I am without them. Okay. Without them, I'm very, like, a little more self-involved and, like, maybe this is a metaphor of some kind. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm a lot more self-involved, like, super annoyed that I'm being delayed and why is this happening? With the kids, I just figured if I communicate to my toddler, they're like, this is just what it takes to get to California. <laughs> like, you know, we're going to go see where the princesses live, but you got to work hard to get there. Maybe she won't pick up on the fact that this is a problem. Mm -hmm. And they were amazing, I have to say. The flights were terrible. My, my kids were amazing. That's she great. She wasn't actually as amazing at Disneyland, but I'll take the <laughs> uncranky kid on the plane any day over the crank, like under, over a blissful kid at Disneyland. Right. That's, I, I never really thought about that. A little kid wouldn't realize that that is not the way that it normally goes. Yep. What happened at Disneyland? Oh, she was just, there was a lot going on. Yeah. It's, it's really kind of boot camp. For three-year-olds <laughs> there's a lot of patience required they don't really have that there's a lot of heat a lot of walking around and you get to the very front of the line almost and there's Minnie Mouse but you can't go talk to her because there's three families in front mm -hmm. of you that still have to talk to her and mine's trying to sneak around and like she was like motioning to many like hey girl you and me we're gonna talk and I'm like stay away let the people have their picture so, it's a lot of that a lot of negotiating but she did all right so when we last talked, I think you were still uh, working at Fox, right? Yes. And you're now at CNN. Yes. I switched yeah. to CNN in March. How's that going? It's really good. I've enjoyed it. There's a really good sort of very diverse team over there. They've been adding a lot of people. It's been fun. It, again, it's such a weird year of sort of a very fascinating year. So there was a couple things involved, obviously, and we'll talk about this later in the podcast. <laughs> uh, something huge had happened in my life. At the time that that happened, I was not under contract just because of things getting by in life and not signing a contract. And so later on, when I sort of got my head together, I started dealing with that. And I ended up with several offers from several different people or several different entities and decided, even though I love Fox and so many of the personalities that there had been incredibly kind to me, maybe this new phase of my life needed something new. Mm -hmm. And I had the opportunity to take something that really, really worked for my family. And there was a chance to just be in D.C., on set, on these shows, uh, be home where I needed to be, and get a situation that really worked for me. And that was my main priority at that time in my life. And right. so the folks at Fox were very kind about it. Bill O'Reilly was very sweet about it and writing back and forth with him about advice. And I wish them all the best. And they seemed to with me as well. And even though we were we, we are competitors, we will be friendly competitors mm. moving forward. But I've I've really enjoyed the switch. It's been fun. And in terms of audience response, I feel like Fox and CNN have such loyal followings. Um, how's that been going? There is tribalism. I mean, there is like I've again with the jerseys. I've got my Fox jersey on. And I've got my CNN jersey. Although I see some of that, I also see some of the mixing of. Well, I I kind of try to watch both because I like to mix it up. Um, and for anybody who's right of center. I think even though you might miss a voice on the place that you usually, usually watch, you should think about, hey, maybe that voice will be reaching a different audience in a different place. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's one thing that I thought I might be good for. And I hope that I'll be good for. Do you feel like you are? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, sorry, not saying do you feel like you're good. And 
you are good at that. <laughs> do you do you already feel like you're reaching a different audience? It's certainly a it's certainly a different type of audience. Um and I'm excited about that. And I still get to see so many Fox viewers at every event I go to. Mm-hmm. And many of them say, I miss seeing you on. And I really, really appreciate that. They keep up with me on social media. Many of them will say on my Instagram account, like, love seeing you here because I'm never switching the channel. Which is like, <laughs> fine, keep up with me here. Um, so, and, and so many people were kind enough in the wake of my circumstances to donate and to pray for us. And so I have, you know, will forever be grateful to that community for that reason. Mm-hmm. And I hope I don't have to lose touch with all of them for that reason. And now what are like Anderson Cooper, Jake Tapper, Brooke Baldwin, if you know her, what are they like in real life? I uh, need the, the inside story. So the scoop. <laughs> so Anderson Cooper behind the scenes is exactly like he is on camera and on camera. I, I'm sure. I mean, he's like, he's got this cool guy thing, mm-hmm. right? Or <laughs> it is a, a bit of an odd feeling where he'll, he'll go off camera. I've never seen anybody relaxed as relaxed between like during commercials as he is he goes and sits on like sort of the back ledge of the set and <laughs> scrolls through his iphone and he's like just super cool mm-hmm. and like you're sort of untouchable at this moment i think that's you know that's what people read on camera and that's what they like about him but he's certainly got this cool dude thing going on <laughs> in a very real way off and on camera right so he's unflappable what about jake tapper uh tapper is I think many people, for instance, who who do love Fox also like Jake Tapper. They feel like he he gives them a fair shake. Uh, And in my experience, he does with conservatives who are on camera with him as well. Uh, I think he's a smart dude. I think he reads a lot. I think he's willing to listen to criticism from the right. And sometimes maybe it's off, off base and sometimes it's too much. And but he he hears it mm-hmm. and he actually sometimes takes action. And I think that's enough for people to go like, Oh, I feel like you're giving us a fair shake. Um, so I know many people who will tune in specifically to him. Right. And you're on with Wolf Blitzer sometimes, right? A little bit. Uh, I don't know him super well, but I'm on with him a bit. And then Brooke Baldwin, I have not met in person yet, but I really like her work. I think she's yeah, very good. Me too. I think they're all good. Yeah. Um, and I love seeing you on there. Yes. It's fun. Okay. So let's, Let's get into uh, the the big life event that you were talking about. Yes. <laughs> Catch us up. So the last time I was here on the podcast, I was, what, four months pregnant? It was maybe. August of 2015. It was summer of last year. Yeah. I was maybe four months pregnant. I hadn't told anybody because I was like, I'm going to tell them when I get back from my book tour. I just had a book come out. Did the book tour, came back home, uh, and in September of 2015 i was seven months pregnant and my husband of almost five years four and a half years died in a cycling accident on a saturday afternoon while i was in north carolina and he was in the country in maryland in a charity race and it had not even occurred to me to be nervous about it or to be worried about him uh he was the great irony of this happening is that he was an incredibly skilled cyclist, like a semi-pro mm-hmm. cyclist in college. There's a plaque in our house that I came across one day, like several years into marriage, or at least several years into dating, that was a national champion plaque for the duathlon, which was not triathlon, but running and biking. And he, I was like, babe, were you the national <laughs> champion of something? <laughs> And he's like, oh, yeah. 
because he didn't really talk about those things so much, uh, which is a great sort of example of how he lived his life. Right. He's like, what? Babe, you should tell me when you're the national <laughs> champion or something. But he was incredibly skilled. And so when I heard something had happened, that there was an accident, I was in the driveway of my parents' house and got a text saying that there had been an accident. And I thought, all right, number one, he's a great cyclist. If anyone can mitigate an accident, it's Jake. He regularly taught his friends how to mitigate accidents when just mm-hmm. as a precautionary measure. And even if he can't mitigate it, he is so healthy that he will give them time to save him. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that that was not the case. Um, whatever happened, and I don't know the details of it because I don't want to hear them. And this is sort of the thing about it that's like, bizarrely not comforting but it it sort of put me at peace about it Mm -hmm. it is so unlikely that this would happen that it's almost just that was it yeah the man had 34 years like my calling him earlier in the day or texting him one time wasn't going to throw off the continuum in such a way he had 34 years on earth he lived them very very well and very busily (laughs) and he fit a bunch of stuff in and that was it and i got a call on the way from my parents house to dc to try and get there Mm -hmm. maybe 20 minutes into the drive that that was it from like a state trooper or something who was that initial text from a friend of his that had run that had done the race they didn't know what was going on either they Mm -hmm. just knew there was an accident it's so I feel like words aren't even doing it justice to say it's so awful. No, I mean, it is. I mean, I, the reaction I had and living through it, and I would tell people this, I was like, this is literally horrific. My life is horrific right now. And that, that was the word that kept popping into my head. And I would, you know, look at my two year old and think, this is horrific. He's gone. Yeah. He's gone. She doesn't really get to know him. And that was the word that came back over and over and over again. That being said, um, your job is to live and you have, I had a kid to raise Mm -hmm. and I had to have another one and I had to protect the one that I was having, but you just put your head down and sort of move through every day the best you can. So you mentioned not wanting to know the details. That's interesting because I think I would, just because the way I am, I would have to like find out every last little bit and then I would torture myself with that information and replay it over and over. Can you talk about your decision not to do that? I think I was in a place where I knew it was really important that I protect myself. Mm -hmm. And that because you were pregnant, partly that part because partly because I had a two year old who I needed to parent in a sort of sufficient way. And in the beginning, maybe that's all it was. But I had responsibilities to people. And I just thought it was important that I take on what I was capable of taking on every day. And that information was not necessary. I knew what had happened. Mm -hmm. It wasn't changing the bottom line. And someday I'll probably look. But actually, it's been long enough that now I'm like, is that ever really necessary? (laughs) Right. I don't, I don't know that it is. And I have a friend, uh, a close friend who's a widow, uh, whose husband was a Navy SEAL killed in Afghanistan. And she said it was, she said she's still, it's been five years or so. She still doesn't know the details of the attack that killed him. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it just feels like, yeah, wasn't going to change the bottom line. Did it feel real right away? I don't think that I went through any denial. I think if I did, it was the car ride to D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you know, to Northern Virginia to meet up with my family, get to my daughter. And I thought, if I just stay in this car, maybe this goes away. Maybe this is not a real thing. Maybe there's some mistake that was made. Maybe I'll get a call that corrects this. By the time I got out of the car, I was like, babe, you got stuff to do. You need to understand that this is real and you need to start dealing with it as best you can. I like that you call yourself babe. (laughs) Listen, babe. (laughs) I call him babe and me babe. (laughs) Um, How was that being reunited with your daughter? You know what? I've thought about that and I don't actually remember that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember someone, I sent a very good friend of mine. She was with my mother-in-law. I sent a very good friend of mine over to the house to be with my daughter and sort of shield her because obviously my mother-in-law was getting this information and all of us were having a lot of trouble. So one of my best friends since I was seven, I said, please go over there and be with Georgia. I knew she could put on a happy enough face and make it, you know, just shield her from all that was going on. I remember her sending me a picture of her while I was on the road to assure me that things were going okay. Um, And a lot of that, I actually do remember a lot of that. People told me this will all fade away. I remember... From her memory? No, no, no. um, I remember a lot of just the days after this. Oh, I see. They said it would fade away, but it hasn't. Yeah, like my my therapist said, you know, your your mind will cover this up. Mm -hmm. I've always had a particularly good memory, so I was (laughs) unsure whether that would happen. And I'm sure there are things that I did that I've forgotten now, but a lot of it is there. But it is strange, and I don't know if this is some sort of influence of like cinematography on your life, <laughs> but I see it through sort of like a fog or mm-hmm. like literally when I look back at it, it's through a fog or sort of a cracked like windshield sort of effect. Um, and that's what it felt like. And I see the places that I was at those times and see them like in a different sort of old snapshot sort of Thing. When I when I mm-hmm. think about what happened there at that time, it feels like a very different place. Um, but yeah, it definitely, there's a cast on it, but I remember a lot of that. And is there any of that sort of effect on your memories um, right before it happened when he was still alive? That I wrote down a lot about in an attempt to keep it mm-hmm. because people told me it would disappear. Uh, in sort of one of these, I mean, I, I call it a blessing, call it a cosmic coincidence, whatever you want. Uh, we had had couple dinners like three times in the past month with three different couples because we were always saying like, we need to get dinner with them. We need, and we never did. And we made it happen three times in that last month. We also had a lake weekend that was just the two of us and our daughter, which so rarely happened because we're very social. Mm. And so we always have 19 people on a weekend like that with us. And so we had this one alone, had this great drink on the porch um, that I remember. And so I wrote down a lot of that and tried to remember it. Uh, so so that may have changed how much I carried over of that. Mm-hmm. And I actually had the couples write down their memories of those dinners and send them to me. What was the experience like of being seven months pregnant and suddenly being alone? Um, well, I wasn't alone ever. And that is something that I've wondered about after this is 
I'm a, I'm very extroverted. So I liked having people around me. Um, I almost was always going to have people around me because I'm I have to raise my daughter. Mm-hmm. Now people would have stepped in, obviously, if I needed to be in a room alone. But <laughs> um there were a ton of people around, you know, our entire family, both sides of the family, so many friends uh from all over the country flew in immediately. And we were all sort of stationed at my mother-in-law's house. And it was this giant, oddly, like, I mean, this is the thing about death. It's like, even when, even immediately after, it can't be everything, right? Mm -hmm. So you're all in this consuming, terrible, tragic thing that has happened. And there are still friends coming together from Tennessee who haven't seen each other in five years, hugging and playing songs and singing together. And my daughter is still running around hugging every relative she knows because they're all in one place and she doesn't really understand why, but she's excited that they're in one place together. So there's, even when it is as dark as possible, there is always just life. Mm -hmm. That's, it can't disappear. It's still there. And I, as an extrovert, wanted to surround myself with that. Not to the point that I wanted to ignore my feelings, but I did like to be around that. And I've wondered since how introverts deal with grief because I can imagine just folding in on myself. Like it wouldn't work for me at all. Mm -hmm. I occasionally went to a room by myself and cried, but I just couldn't do it all the time. And I've kind of wondered about that, how different people would find respite from that. Because to me, it would just feel so crushing to be alone in that moment. But maybe it would feel better to other people. Right. Right. Um, Well, as an introvert, I can speak a bit to that, although not not to that situation, clearly. But I think there's this feeling that it's it can be draining to be around people because what you feel like you just want to be able to feel your authentic feeling and you don't maybe don't feel comfortable feeling that around other people so i don't know but like i think even most introverts there still are a handful of people that they feel they can be their authentic self around and they want to work it out with those people yeah and i you know obviously having friends around i talked through it with them and then I I took it to another level because I felt like <clears throat> it turned out that the way I deal with grief is to public speak about it. <laughs> um, and but that that helped me. It was like this is the way that I tell the story of this awful thing that happened. And if I tell a story, it's never going to make sense. But if I can tell the story, maybe it will comfort me in some way. It helps me to feel like there's a narrative here. Mm. Um, and so I spoke a lot about it and I, you know, wrote those speeches or toasts or whatever they were interviews. And that helped me sort of get through the initial, like really shattered existence. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was, you know, I spoke about it. Gosh, what was the first time? Tuesday in public happened Saturday. I spoke Tuesday. Wow. What was, what, where did you, there was a, um, there was a, memorial service at his place of work so Mm -hmm. he worked at change.org well he was at the white house when he died but he had just been there for a couple of weeks or a couple months and before that he was at change.org for several years and they have offices all over the country so they had a memorial service at the same time in san francisco new york and dc and i spoke at the one in dc and then on friday at his memorial service Mm -hmm. um something that struck me from from what I saw um, when it was all happening was just how strong 
you seemed when you were speaking about it on Instagram or in interviews. Um, was that just what came naturally to you? Was that a choice? Because I was like, I mean, my dog died and I could not fucking hold it together. <laughs> well, but that was a choice I made too, to be like, this is how I feel. I'm going to just put right. my feelings out there. Right. But, you know, it it was just this, watching you was like this master lesson in how to be strong and graceful and yet still honest in public. But I wondered like, you know, obviously there's a side of this we're not seeing. Right. Um, well, I appreciate that. I, a lot of it is just my nature, but there was a decision. I did think, okay, you can let this take you down Mm -hmm. and you can let it take your family down. Uh, and I knew that, you know, and you always want to honor those who you've lost. Like that would be the last thing Jake would want. Like the idea that I would be wallowing in, and obviously you're going to wallow to some extent. Your husband just died. <laughs> right. But like the idea that I would, I don't know, just sort of retreat and I don't know, just let it defeat me, mm-hmm. I guess is is the word. Um, I was like, you know, you have, a, you have a choice. You can get up every day and try to do this the best way you know how, or you can feel really, really sorry for yourself because there is a ton of room to feel sorry for yourself right now. And the other way felt better. It felt better to me. It felt better. It felt like a better way to share him with other people um, because I, I felt like through the way I was communicating about him, people were really getting a sense of the kind of person he was. Mm-hmm. And that was really important to me. In the aftermath of this was like, oh gosh, he's gone. And how do I preserve this? And I don't know if I was consciously doing that, but it felt like well, if it's if it's partly my job to make this legacy, and it literally is in the form of two children, <laughs> then um, then this seems like the the best way to do it. But I there is a part of me that is, I just realized, oh, well, this is how I do everything, and it turns out this is how I do really horrible things as well, which is with poise and dignity. You no, know, just like kind of with, I just have a sunny disposition, mm-hmm. and I. I saw the possibility of a happy life, even though there would always be times that were sad. I thought, and it, I guess it had never occurred to me before. I don't know. I had this very, it feels very clinical or something, but I was mm-hmm. like, every life has something terrible that's going to happen. Like you can't escape this. This is your thing. What are you going to do with it? How fast did that set in? I mean, was it like from the from the time it happened, you had that outlook? No, I mean, I think I was stunned. And I think a lot of probably, I mean, who knows, a lot of that initial thinking about this and writing about it and speaking about it was when I was, I don't know if I was literally in shock in a clinical sense, but in that, right, in that, that area, phase, where in that yeah. first week. And I wonder if formulating it in that way gave me a foundation for moving forward after the shock. Mm-hmm. Um, that may have been the case, but it was my impulse when I wrote that first Instagram post that went everywhere, which thank goodness I thought about what I was saying. <laughs> That's, I didn't realize how public it was going to be. I don't know why I didn't think that right. it would be. I had no idea. Well, it makes sense that you hadn't yet. I hadn't processed that right. this would be a media event. That Yeah. you're. I mean, I could see that you're thinking of how it's personally affecting you, not this like the public story of it. So 
when I wrote that first thing, I guess it was the next day. Mm-hmm. And I I made choices in writing that and said, we're going we're gonna to do our damnedest, even when it's insane, to look on the brightest side possible of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure that I would have done the same thing had I not had kids or had, you know, kid in the making and a kid right (laughs) um part Uh, of well i I think well for one thing i wasn't able to sneak into the bottom of a bottle like that that might have been my impulse had i not been pregnant Mm -hmm. um so was that like did you feel the urge to have a drink or to escape in some way there was (laughs) there was a moment because a lot of people obviously were drinking not in a destructive way Mm -hmm. but there was a an atmosphere at the house where everybody's together and having beers and um i'm not a teetotaler while pregnant come at me people come at me (laughs) i'm not a teetotaler i will have a a sip every now and then um but i obviously knew it was very important for me and i i also was like okay something really huge happened we are keeping this baby to term like everything that is required to keep Mm -hmm. this baby to term we will do uh but there was a moment we were sitting around this giant round table uh with a bunch of friends and with my godsend friend who was wrangling all of this and making it happen we were planning his funeral and it was at the national national cathedral and my best friend is calling the shots and sort of keeping everybody it's a tough thing to do and she's she's just a godsend she's like put my life in order since Mm -hmm. then um very few people could manage doing something like that is this your friend with the wallaby no different friend okay (laughs) i know that that's real out of left field but you guys Mary Catherine Ham has a friend <laughs> who has a pet wallaby and I follow the wallaby on Instagram. As you should. <laughs> well be the wallaby. Um, so we're sitting around this table and I looked around and I just went like put my hand in there. I was like, I feel like this would be a lot easier if I could get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and in truth, I'm not sure it would have been a lot easier. Mm. But at that moment, that was the feeling that I was having. And yes, the well be the wallaby friend is the friend who has my similar personality, the friend who put my life in order is the friend who has the opposite personality oh, okay. of me because I would not be capable of doing what she has done to my life in the last seven months. Right. Um, okay. So if you, you think that if this had happened when you didn't have kids, your temptation might have been to, to drink and to escape perhaps. Yes. How does, tell me if you don't want to answer Like, I feel like this is now asking a potentially too personal question, but, how how has it how's your daughter doing uh she is great um so i talked to a therapist almost immediately after this happened about me and about her and were you in therapy before no um but i talked to this this woman uh and she was super helpful and she told me when it came to kids and i actually i did some research on this as well because of like that's my reporter mm-hmm. half i guess or something it's like looking up clinical studies on grief like how does this work <laughs> um and i discovered uh some information and she gave me some information about toddlers and memory so two years old which is about what she was two years old is just old enough to maybe hold on to some memories and just young enough to have no trauma whatsoever so it's good and it's bad right, right. um i helped her as much as I could, she was pretty pre-verbal at the time, uh, figure out what memories sort of triggered for her and what what she might carry over. Mm-hmm. And uh, my therapist said, get her pictures that reinforce those that she can see all the time. Because toddlers, it turns out, 
are pretty good at forming memories, holding on to them until later in life is tough unless they're reinforced. Mm -hmm. And most people, if they have a very early memory, there's a picture that reinforces that. And maybe you've heard the story of that picture over and over again. Right. And that's what makes it possible. So the good news is studies also show little girls form some of those early memories often earlier than little boys. Uh, And little girls with highly verbal mothers are the most likely to form early memories. I was like, well, we got that going for us. Yeah. Um, so it's just because they're they're the ones who are with them and reinforcing these stories. So uh, months after uh, he had passed away, maybe just a couple months ago now, I realized that she she can now talk a lot more than she did then. And she revealed that she had a memory I had no idea she had. Oh. And so that was very powerful. Um, my brother, who moved in with us immediately after he died, my brother's he was a freelance computer programmer. He didn't need to be where he was at that time. And so he came That's for the- so great. It was wonderful. He came for the funeral and he never left. It's like the greatest gift he could possibly have given us. He was just so great. So just there to help take out trash, fix it. When we were still in this haze, um, he helped with uh, my first daughter. And then when I had the second one, he was there for both of them. And um, just like, the greatest gift a brother could give and really, really an amazing thing. But so when he moved in, he usually showered in the afternoon. Uh, And my daughter was used to hearing her father shower in the morning. So one day he got up in the morning and he shut the door and he turned on the shower. And she said, Dada. And I said, no, that's not him. But do you remember that? And she, it was the most amazing thing. She laughed to herself. Like I could tell that she was, vividly remembering something and nobody could have understood it but her mother because you know she's barely talking but I what I gleaned was that she remembered that she used to walk down the hall when she got out of bed and she would open the door to the bathroom and go in and say da da are you and he would open the curtain and say hi to her uh and so she remembers that and I didn't reinforce that and she brought it up six or seven months after this happened so that seems to me like there's hope that she really will have a real memory that I didn't create for her. Mm-hmm. And that made me very, very happy. You're going to make me cry. That's what I'm here for. Does she understand that he's gone? I think so. I mean, we, so we do prayers every night mm-hmm. and he's in them. And so we make reference to that and that he's gone away uh, and that we, pray that he can watch over us and check in on us and see her. And so she gets that, you know, this is not a business trip. That being said, and this is one of the things that eased both of our transitions, he traveled a lot for work. So for both of us, it was not totally foreign to do this together, just the two of us. And so that was actually, I didn't love it when he was alive, but it ended up being sort of a blessing that, you know, she wasn't the kind of kid who her dad walked in at 530 every day. And if he didn't walk in, she'd worry. Right. You know, this is <laughs> was we both lived incredibly busy lives. Uh, and so you know, she got great quality time with her dad. But it was not this like expectation that he would be in that bed and in his house every single day. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that was actually helpful to both of us. Although I will say there was the part two weeks in where even though I kept telling myself this is not a business trip, it's not a business trip. Still two weeks in, I was like this is not a business trip. There was a different level 
Yeah. So do you feel like, um, you've changed? Has this, this experience changed you? I think I've been surprised that the person I was, in fact, I had a conversation weirdly with a, one of my best friends the day before this happened about resilience and about trauma and about people dealing with it. And we both sort of were tossing around the idea like, well, I feel like like maybe I am this resilient person or something along those lines. I can't even remember the exact conversation. But this happened the next day and I was like, well, I guess we'll fucking see. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I have been pleasantly surprised to find out that the person I was ended up being helpful in this situation, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and I've said it before in public. Had you asked Jake about this insane scenario, he would have said beyond a shadow of a doubt, of course she can handle it. Like, I mean, that is, he wouldn't have even blinked. He wouldn't have thought twice. And I know that so firmly that that has been helpful. Like, I I think I, I would have done it anyway because I have you know, responsibilities to two other people. And I want to live, I also want to live like a happy life, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I do know that he would have said, absolutely. She's got this. Do you, it's interesting. You're feeling that like, this was just kind of like it was written, like it was done. Um, do you, do you find that you have anxiety about situations or like, does your brain go to worst case scenarios or do you have any of that sort of hypervigilance type stuff that I suspect that I would? So occasionally, um, this is like, this is so, this is dark in retrospect, but I swear it's not dark. (laughs) When this happened, my best friend, the one that put my life together after all this happened, uh, she said, and she later said to me like, I can't believe that. Like when it happened, she said, I can't believe this. She was always worried about a freak accident. Like I, and it, I wasn't worried in a dark way. I just like, I have an active imagination mm-hmm. and it didn't keep me from living life, but I would have these scenarios in my head where I'd be like, like, like say like I'm going down the stairs and then I'm carrying something and I almost trip. And I would, I would see that in my head and see like some terrible outcome. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it not really in a dark, I know it sounds terribly dark. No, I have really that too. Way. And then I think, what is going on? Why yeah. is my brain imagining? But I do that too. Like yeah. flash. Like a flash of yeah. like, and it's almost sort of comedic. Like this mm-hmm. is my dark imagination sort of coming uh, to the fore. And uh, so I I would tell these stories and she knew that that was something that my my brain did. And then Jake, who was not a really a big birthday person, I would say, babe, it's not a, it's not like just a birthday. It's a celebration of the fact that you got through the last year (laughs) without something crazy like this happening. And so it's a bizarre thing that, that those two lined up, but, and this may be, it's partly my personality. It's partly my writing myself this story. What I said immediately after he died was I had, uh, two wishes and two things I would work towards. One, that I and my children would not be a sad trombone in everybody's lives. <laughs> it would be easy for us to walk into a room and for everybody to go, oh, there's the widow and her two children. 
Mm-hmm. They'll never know their father. And it's like, it's sad. It's really sad. We are not sad. Mm-hmm. And if we are, if we bring that into other people's lives, if we are a constant reminder of that, that compounds our sadness. So I was like, I'm asking all of you to not let us be that. We are, I'm the woman he married and these children are half him and they are not sad. Their story's not over. Mm -hmm. Their story has just started. One hadn't even started yet. Um, And so I asked for that from family and friends and I asked for it publicly. And two was that we would live life unafraid, that I was not going to keep my kids from doing things because a bad thing happened on a terrible day because bad things are going to happen on terrible days and keeping my kids from living life is not going to keep them from those terrible things necessarily. It's just going to make their lives not fun. And speaking of things that Jake would hate, oh my gosh, like if I just like sheltered my kids and kept them inside, absolutely not. I mean, that was something that parenting, we were exactly in sync on letting them live lives, letting them hurt themselves, letting them learn things and not helicopter parenting, or at least as much as possible. Now, there are times when I'll go, I'll have a moment where I go, do I want to send her into someone else's house today? Mm -hmm. Because she won't be with me. And there were times immediately after where I wanted her with me. And that's okay. And I gave myself that freedom. But at this point, yeah, she's, I have people I trust with her. She can go places, she can do things, she can climb things. And that's okay. Um, But I don't know how much of that is me or how much I sort of imposed it on myself by making this a goal of mine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a combination, I think, in all of these cases. I remember at the time thinking there's something sort of wonderful about the fact that you were seven months pregnant. I mean, I feel wonderful is the wrong word to apply to a situation that's so horrific. However, this idea that there's more of him about to to be born. Yep. You know, he he will live on in a way that you don't even know yet. Yeah, and we had a um I don't know if you know this story. So when I was pregnant, he came to the ultrasound appointment at 24 weeks because hashtag second kid, it's supposed to be 20 weeks, but <laughs> uh we went at 24. Sorry, kid. <laughs> and uh during that appointment, you can find out Uh, the sex of the baby. And so I didn't know whether I wanted to know. We didn't know what the first one. And I said, we'll just let the, we'll just ask the tech to put it on a card and we'll open it later if we feel like it. And so she wrote it on the screen to print it and then put it in a, in an envelope. But she, I looked away, but she did not tell him to look away. Mm. So he actually knew uh, the sex of the baby before I did and I was 26 weeks pregnant then. He died at 30 weeks. And he didn't tell me. Or I was 24 weeks to, so it was six weeks difference. He didn't tell me. I didn't ask. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds crazy. I'm the kind of person who can, who loves a surprise. I'm happy to wait. I'm one of those weirdos. <laughs> and so I didn't ask. But the, you know, in the end, it was this comfort that he sort of met this little person in a way that I had not yeah. yet. I, and he was having thoughts about what she would be and what she would do. Um, and so I, I love that part of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had no idea until she was born. <laughs> and her birth was pretty easy, right? 
Uh, yes, hurt like hell, but about as awesome did, a birth as you can have. Because you did natural childbirth. Natural. Uh, and that was one thing that I wonder if some people just thought I was insane. I had planned to do midwife, uh, birthing center, not a hospital. I had a fairly smooth birth with my first one. Long, painful, induced, but in the end, fairly smooth. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like this would be better for me and something that I was looking for. And then this happened. And actually, I have to give thanks to nobody second guessed me on it. They weren't like, oh, don't you think you should go to the hospital because things can happen? <laughs> nobody really second guessed me. And looking back on it, I'm like, oh, maybe I worried some people with this with this plan. Um, but everything was good. I went to the midwife immediately after this happened. They were so kind. And the whole practice just came together to help me in whatever way I needed. Um, some women who uh, do birth coaching doula type of stuff, you have to have them there as well. And you hire them outside the midwifery. Anyway, they volunteered to send two women to my Aww. birth. Like everybody was just excited to be there and to help. And I went into labor at midnight and sat around and was in labor for a while and started to really hurt. And I was like, hmm. and I had had contractions for about a week before that every night for an hour. And so every night I was waking up and going, oh, this is it. <laughs> and by this time, I was 39 weeks pregnant. This is more pregnant than I had ever been. I had mm-hmm. my first one at 37 and a half weeks. With this kid, with all the trauma, I didn't even know if we'd make it to 37 weeks. So I was like, we were in like hooray zone at this <laughs> point. Just like any day is fine with me. Whatever comes, mm-hmm. great. So every night I was thinking, oh, this is it. This is it. And then they'd go away and I'd go back to sleep. So I woke up at midnight. They didn't go away. Called the midwife. She's like, well, take a bath. And if they chill out, then it's not real labor. Took a bath. Oh, no. Now I'm just wet and in pain. Awesome. <laughs> so I got out 3.30 in the morning. My brother's there. My sister-in-law, Jake's sister, uh, came to be my birth partner because mm-hmm. um, she's sort of like a female Jake. I knew she could <laughs> uh, handle it and and had sort of a, an athletic take on it as opposed to like hanging crystals and stuff. It's more my style. Right. Like, we're doing a marathon here. <clears throat> so at 3.30 in the morning, I went to the birth, birthing center because I was like, can't walk through this anymore. Let's get over there. <laughs> and at 5.15, I had a baby. Wow, that's so fast. Um, so it was like, you know, six hours of labor. But I have a feeling I was probably pretty far along from yeah. the contractions earlier in the week. Uh, At these birthing centers, do they have painkillers in case you're like, I can't do it? No. Okay. So you commit. You commit. And But that was what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, it was what I wanted before he died. And after he died, I felt it was what I needed. I was like, I need to have this experience. It could be terrible. And it could be like emotional in a horrible way, but it's also going to be emotional in a beautiful way. And to me, and this is... Uh, I I judge not anyone else's birth choices. For me, I needed to feel it and to go through it. And I like things like climbing mountains and marathons and pushing myself. And it was th- it was those things that Jake and I really like to do together. Mm-hmm. And so going through something that's pretty grueling and also really rewarding made sense to me. It made perfect sense to me. It made sense to me as a coda to this experience in some ways. Um, and it was incredibly beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like it could not have been more beautiful. Um, and she was born at five fifteen. Uh, I was in like, you know, a regular sort of furnished room that looked like a bedroom. Uh, an hour later I was up taking a shower and then I had her on my chest and I ate breakfast in bed and I watched the sunrise. 
Oh, mini quiches in case you're interested. <laughs> and did uh, you order them or is that just what they serve? I brought them. Oh, you bring smart. food to the midwives actually in case it's a long birth so you yeah. can feed them while you're there. And the myth is that if you bring a bunch of food, you'll have a short birth. So I brought a ton of food <laughs> and I had a fairly short birth and uh, had some mini quiches and a, uh, a Starbucks and it was wonderful. It does sound, that's kind of an idyllic birth experience. But yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a very, it's a, it's a serious thing. <laughs> that whole ring of fire is no joke, man. <laughs> no joke. Um, one last question about all this and then let's move on to some audience questions. But what, what would you like people to know and remember about Jake? I mean, so, I mean, so, so much of it is out there and I talk about it all the time and I, I mean, I try to continue talking about it, not in a like, I'm going to dwell on this kind of way. But mm-hmm. um, in fact, like, it's interesting the the public part of this is bizarre as well. It's like, what's the proper way to do this publicly? And I, I try not to like beat myself up about it. For instance, on Father's Day, it was like, well, should I post something? Mm-hmm. And I, f- I realized by the end of the day, I was putting this pressure on myself to post something because people expect me to say something about it. And I was like, nah it's just like it's a little bit of a downer and i'm not gonna feel great about it and like you don't owe it to them i don't like it it doesn't have to be public it can just be my thoughts and so that kind of thing i think on anniversaries and and going through this publicly i'm gonna have to just give myself a break and you know let it happen the way it happens and not that anybody was putting pressure on me i was putting pressure on myself to be like it's appropriate for me to say something today right um but jake was just sort of I mean, he's real. He was really something else. Like, <laughs> he, he was so good at so many things. Uh, he was athletic. He was smart. He was a great leader, um, like a natural leader without even trying, kind of thing. Uh, he was more organized than I was. Uh, he was a good public speaker. Uh, the thing that I will miss the most, and I wish that we had more. Uh, video and tape of but we really took it for granted he had the most beautiful voice he sang all the time all the time and for whatever reason there's not that much video of it um like he was a true performer he was Mm. so so good and uh so we're actually friends are trying to dig up whatever they have because that's that's a thing that you really like people's voices yeah it's hard to hold on to that and there's this stupid bear that's <laughs> I shouldn't say stupid bear. Thank you to whoever got it for us. There's this bear, uh, like a stuffed bear that someone gave us when we had our first star that has like a recording thing. Mm-hmm. And he used to sing lullabies to her all the time. And I thought for the first year of her life, like I should really record that so we can just hit the button and put the bear in there to be simpler. And I wish so much I had recorded that. Uh, and I, whenever I hear the little stock song that's on there, I'm like, damn it. <laughs> And you record it. On the other hand, had I recorded it, maybe she wouldn't have gotten as many real life lullabies as she got. So see, that's the yeah. way my mind works. Um, so, so I don't know. I'm, I'm getting off track here, but he was, he was like an incredibly talented person without ever throwing it in your face. And that was what was very cool with him. He He was a person who could have taken a lot, who could have gotten away with a lot. Mm-hmm. And people would have given him a pass because he was good looking. He was charming. And he made he had made a, a conscious decision in his life not to be that guy. Um, very early in life, he wanted a life of service. 
He went to the U.S. Naval Academy and ended up transferring because that wasn't the particular service he ended up wanting to do. Um, and then years later, after living a whole different life of public service, he came, he met me and I had all these ties to the Naval Academy from the veterans work I did so that his life sort of came full circle in a way that I think was really satisfying for him. Um, but yeah, Jake Brewer, hmm. it was something else. Yeah. I've enjoyed just getting to, to know him through your memories of him and your posts of him. Oh, and could dance. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, those might have been my favorite things. The singing and the dancing. Perfect wedding date. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, I love the photos from weddings. Uh, he That is one one moment when I really, really miss him. Is I've been to a couple good weddings this year. And I'm like, oh, he would have just loved it <laughs> here. Um, yeah. Did he have a certain song that he sang most or just all songs? Uh, all songs. But he specialized in sort of... Aerosmith style rock <laughs> and Motown. Those okay. were his two Those his are good comfort fields. zone. And uh, like I, he also whistled patience <laughs> endlessly. And he was a great whistler. And you would hear it coming from elsewhere in the house. A very good Elvis as well. <laughs> but it's funny. I, I had, I go through many, many days. I mean, I obviously think of him every day. You can't mm. not. Um, I have a child who looks exactly like him. <laughs> um, the other one may look a little bit more like me. We'll see. Uh, so I think of him all the time, but it's funny. I had a memory today and I don't know if it was because I was thinking mm -hmm. or not a memory. I had an experience today. I don't know if it was because I was thinking about coming here and talking about him, but it was something that was like he felt closer than he had in a long time. I was napping with both of my girls. I got them down for naps. And by the time I got both the monsters down, I was tired and was like, let me just rest for 20 minutes. <laughs> And I closed my eyes and I like sort of was shocked back awake because I had this dream of <laughs> going through an airport security area with two kids and being really tired at the end of the belt and thinking, ugh. And I looked back like through the mag or the, you know, at the mm -hmm. beginning of the line and I saw him in a red shirt <laughs> and a blue hat and he was smiling and it was like, I'm right behind you. And... He's not going to be here. You know, he's not showing up anytime soon. Um, but I have those moments where it's like, he's around. Mm -hmm. He's around. And sometimes closer than others. Uh, and sometimes we hear from him in really crazy ways. And sometimes in his own hand with handwritten notes that I find around the house. Um, oh. So I don't know what, you know, people believe different things. But in a very real way, he has stayed with us and that's what i prayed for after he died i was like do not disappear on these kids man <laughs> i need you to look in i need you to let me know you can look in and you need to do it explicitly because a bird on a wing is not going to cut it for me i'm a very practical person <laughs> You're like don't don't be a rainbow motherfucker <laughs> it doesn't count <laughs> i need something much more obvious than that and he has been very obvious or he and god are, their mm -hmm. uh their collusion such that it is <laughs> um anyway Airport security's never been so touching. <laughs> I know. <laughs> never been so moved by a, a TSA-related story. Let's take some questions that listeners sent in. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. Okay. 
Um, oh, Jen says, just saw her post about the surfboard sandbox fitness <laughs> class. Can we hear about that experience? I saw that post as well. Yeah, uh, it hurt. I would not recommend it as one's uh, almost first foray into working out after kid number two. <laughs> what is it? It looks like a, a sandy room with surfboards. So apparently it's a shark tank idea. Oh. And it's like a giant sandbox. Uh, it's so LA. It's a giant sandbox. And there's surfboards that are kind of on these uh, balanced ball sort of like mm. medicine ball i think probably and they're in the sandbox and so it's like you know you have to you, have, you work out on the surfboard the entire time but you your core is engaged the entire time because you have to balance every exercise you're doing so it's a very hard workout on the ground but then you're adding a whole other element by being on the surfboard and it was uh tough mm -hmm. but also fun is it does it is it just exercising that utilizes a surfboard or does it actually help you learn to surf I don't think it's focused on learning to surf. I mean, there may be an element of that, but it's right. more of like, this is a cool thing we're doing. And also it's making you balance at all times. Like mm -hmm. that's the, that's the key. Gotcha. Um, okay. And I have, this is a question from at Allison Rosen regarding pregnancy and weight gain. <laughs> this one didn't come in on Twitter. It just came in fresh okay. off my mind. Um, did you gain any in your first trimester? Because I have Googled that I should just trust what my doctor says. I've Googled that like you're really not supposed to gain in your first trimester. And um, I feel huge already. And I don't think I'm as huge as I feel, but I'm definitely, but I've definitely already gained like five pounds. Yeah. I, I think first of all, you're always going to feel huger than you look. It's just the way it works. Okay. I looked at other pregnant ladies and I was like, she's so cute and pregnant. And then right. I look back at pictures of me and I'm like, she, I look just like these other people. <laughs> I just felt gigantic. Um, so just be prepared for that. I have like, very few sort of like that's body issues are not my particular challenge and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad about that but i'm like i understand that other people have them and it was still a challenge for me to see like oh i'm going to gain 30 pounds right now mm -hmm. uh and so it's part of the ride <laughs> it's gonna suck sometimes um you have a wonderful husband like lean on him, talk to him about this. Yeah. I know you're not hesitant to do that. Uh, you also have. You well, also no, have he's a, not good with the body and the food issues because like he does not get. He doesn't that. have them. No, he'll listen though, but yeah. he's just like it doesn't. I don't think it makes sense to him. Well, and you have a lot of you know fans who are yeah. super supportive, but yeah, like I don't actually remember okay. in, the, in the first trimester. Uh, I also uh, don't weigh myself as a as a rule that much, um, and didn't pay that much attention to the doctor. But uh, second trimester is the more that's the, the more gaining going on right. then. Uh, but you know what? Like that, that's part of You have to gain weight to have a baby. Yeah. Got to do it. Got to do it. <laughs> I know. That's what I keep telling myself. But it's like since I read that stupid thing about for like now it's all segmented. Like got to gain weight to have a baby, but not in the first trimester. No, anyway. I'm, no. Some people do and some people don't. I didn't because I was I'm if like if I didn't, it was because I was puking all the time. Yeah. So, you know, there are ups and downs. Um, okay. Laura Broder says... Well, this is a question we sort of discussed, but how does she have so much poise and grace in the face of tragedy? Yeah, I mean, I don't like I I will say and I, I didn't touch on this earlier and everybody, as I said, has their own beliefs. But there was a lot of prayer involved and uh, and it was a bit like meditative prayer because mm -hmm. I would wake up in the middle of the night and just like that was one thing I had trouble if I, I could go to sleep, but then I would have trouble going back to sleep if I woke up in the middle of the night because I would get so into my head about everything. I mean, and have, you know, be very, very anxious, which is a thing that I'm not used to being. Mm -hmm. um, but the world seemed very, very, very scary. And uh, at that moment, and so I did a lot of praying and uh, 
there's actually, I've been meaning to write this up, but there was a prayer uh, that I just came up with that now my daughter and I say together, which is give us strength, give us peace, give us power to do the things we have to do and protection from the things we don't. And if we can't wake up tomorrow living the easy life, we pray we live the best life we can live on the path you've given us with your help. And Georgia says, thank you, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cute. Uh, But I said that over and over and over and over and over again in various scripture that I would just say Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. Like there's a, there's a plan for you, you know, things that, you know, whatever that thing is that helps you, like I would just repeat them to myself over and over again. Right. Uh, Jen says, does she have any plans to run for political office or host her own show? Such a big nope to political <laughs> office. Um, have Is it something you've ever considered? Yeah, I mean, halfway, but really not seriously. Uh, and And that's the thing about political office. And I think it's something you're seeing playing out this year where the process does not attract normal people. <laughs> Um, I mean that in the best way possible, but no, the, the process re- weeds out a bunch of people who would just like to live good lives and raise their children. And I am one of those people. And I look at my children and I think, do I want to put them through something like that? And my family through something like that? Absolutely not. I have other things that I can do and I have other, th- other ways that I can change the world. And I think they're often more effective and I don't want to be, uh, too cynical about it. My husband would not have been, he would have been the one who would have run for office, not mm-hmm. me. <laughs> And what about hosting your own show? Uh, I mean, it's a nice thought, I guess. I, I've always thought that, I would, that I'm better in an ensemble, frankly. Uh, I've, had, uh, I've had opportunities to do solo radio shows and that kind of thing, and I am, I am much better bouncing off other people uh, and enjoy talking to other people so much. And it is not my, it's not my nature or my focus to be like, I must have a show and I'm going <laughs> to helmet. But I love doing it with other people and would love to be considered for those roles. Mm-hmm. So, Okay. Ed Morris says, how was appearing on the Bill Maher show? You've done it a few times now. I've done it twice. Uh, it's actually quite fun. And on both occasions, I've been there you know, I, I sort of in agreement with him on a couple weird issues on the free speech issue, which is what my book was about, sort of the PC issue, which my book was about. Um, on the Trump front, he and I were in some ways on the same page. So I've come in with a couple of things we have in common. Uh, and it's fun. I like anything with a live audience, even if the live audience hates me, it turns <laughs> out. So that I've enjoyed. And it's a challenge. Like if you can make his audience laugh and you're the conservative on stage, like you've you've pulled something off. So mm-hmm. I like that part of it. Uh, Rafael Castaneda says, I'd just like to hear her thoughts on the election. Oh, so many thoughts. Um, now it's, I have written off most of this year as just like a, we're like in a bad movie, right? (laughs) Like my husband didn't die when I was seven months pregnant and Trump is not the nominee. That is not a thing that happened. Uh, it's like sliding doors. There's some other reality. No, I, I think there's, you know, there's this populist uprising on both sides on left and right and it comes from a real thing even though i think on both sides there are certainly uh distasteful tweeters <laughs> involved and perhaps unsavory uh folks and sort of uh, drivers for some of this there are also real reasons for people to look like when people say oh trump is a disgrace to the system 
many people voting for Trump or looking at Trump or looking at Bernie for that matter say the system disgraced itself long ago. And I think that is a perfectly valid uh, feeling and it is a real problem. And these choices are not the prescription. That's my take uh, on, on most of this. And it's just not, it's not going to be fun except for the fact that I'm sort of unleashed because I'm like, eh, don't like either of them. Mm. And I can, you know, call balls and strikes and not feel bad about it. When you encounter people who are for Trump, not, I don't mean like on the ground Trump supporters who are going to rallies and, right. and sending shitty tweets. I mean like people on TV shows and things like that. Do you like? Do you feel like in their heart they're really for him, or have they just like made some uncomfortable peace and they feel like he's the best of, of the two options? I, I think there are some who sort of saw this tide coming mm-hmm. and were like, "Yeah, I get what the I get what the issue is that people are having," and for that reason, sort of jumped on board with the people who were having that issue and with the guy who was the embodiment of it. Um, and then there are many people who after he got the nomination are just like, yeah, I feel like he's our best, like he's the best choice. And like the other choice is fairly bad. So I kind of like, (laughs) you look at the two and you're like, well, and so I'm not, it's easier for me to understand the person who says I'm going to vote this way Mm -hmm. because now these are the choices I'm given. The part where you like may have campaigned for him during the primary when you had a ton of other, <laughs> frankly, very good choices that I'm not uh, on board with. Right. But I can I I come a lot closer to understanding understanding the first one. It really does feel like a crazy time to be alive and a crazy thing that's happening. And like, how the hell did this happen? Well, and I I think like we were sort of marching in this direction. And I and this is and people will argue with this. But when Obama ran, he ran as a brand. It was, and it was better than running as a person or a politician. And it's what, and to some extent, that's what politics has always been about. It's about your attributions. It's about, it's not about your policies. Mm -hmm. It's about how you make people feel. And he really like perfected that. And I think Trump, consciously or not, was like, I got the biggest brand there is. (laughs) Like, let's see how far it can go. And so I think we've sort of been traveling in this direction. Uh, and there's just a combination of like sort of broken promises from people that that led us to to this place. Yeah. But it's uh yeah, it's quite a it's quite a thing that's going on. The thing I will say the thing that I think is interesting about the year and possibly positive moving forward is like this mix up of the of who's on what team and what what alliances can happen and who might be third party and all that. I think is the idea that the way we were doing it before was a great way before Trump came in and basically smashed the whole idea of how you run a campaign. It wasn't a great way before and it wasn't having great results. So perhaps the idea of like, just sort of like I'm going to overload the system, right? Is not actually the worst thing. Like there could be new things that come out of this and Mm -hmm. new sort of ability for politicians to basically like, this is what I believe and have a little bit more leeway than they had in this very tiny, narrow lanes they were in before. Mm-hmm. Hopes. And lastly, Bill I Am says, can you please ask her which Jerry Stiller character she liked more, his character in Seinfeld or in King of Queens? I'm going to go Seinfeld. 
The classic. Yeah. The classic. All right. Let's uh, do some Just Me or Everyone. But first, I want to say, hey, if you're going <laughs> to... Sorry, Jeff. You're going to need a neck brace. <laughs> if you're going to buy something on Amazon, perhaps Seinfeld DVDs, click through the banner on my website, alisonrosen.com. doesn't cost you anything extra, but it helps the show. Thank you so much for your Amazon support. Thank you for your PayPal support. Um, we have ringtones and T-shirts and all sorts of stuff available. Go to alisonrosen.com and click on the store, and you'll find all of that. Okay, just mirror everyone. For real. <laughs> Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Just me or everyone. Okay, Misfit Hermy says, just mirror everyone, share a link, then fear you accidentally shared porn or something equally embarrassing instead of the intended link. Yes, I have this all the time. Oh, I double check my my shortened tweet tweet links all the time. Yeah. I'm like, let's just copy and paste that, make right. sure it's what I meant to do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um JMOs for Aeros says, can't understand how bugs survive rainstorms considering how poorly they seem to do in the shower. I mean, I've never had that thought, but you're right. Yeah, is it just a bug massacre every time there's a rainstorm? Maybe it is. Huh. I mean they do procreate like right. fairly quickly. Yeah. They replace themselves. I feel like they have somewhere to hide outside and they, there's not the slippery yeah. bathtub. I think that's that's their problem. Right, right. Yeah, they can like cling to the underside of a leaf or yeah, something. Yeah, a tree or a branch or something. What I've learned is I should just set the sprinkler off in my kitchen when I have a fruit fly problem. <laughs> I think that's productive. Um, I have been finding silverfish in my sink. Uh, so I don't know what to do about that. Move? Yeah, just <laughs> burn your house down and move. Yeah. They don't really freak me out. They don't? No. I mean, I mean, they're sort of gross, but... I've also been finding a lot of spiders. I feel like it's the heat. Yeah, I feel like bugs come out in the heat. Yes. Silverfish yeah, aren't that inside. gross, but they... Like, they'll get me. Like, the first eighth of a second I see them, I go... Right. No. Oh, it's just a silverfish. But they do have a, a slinkiness to them. That's yeah. a little, yes. It's a little unnerving. Roaches bother me, but spiders don't. Yeah, me too. I guess if I had to make a hierarchy... Roaches are the worst, mm-hmm. and spiders and silverfish are sort of, yeah. I don't know. No, I think I'm more okay with spiders than silverfish, actually. It's ah. weird. Hmm. Spiders have more personality. My daughter has a spider thing. It's very cool. She walks up. She walks up to spider web, and she's like, spider web. <laughs> Big spider. Oh. Like, All right. You should show her Charlotte's web. That's pretty badass. <laughs> Uh, Jen says, when on hold, I would rather hear intermittent beeps than music. Yes, a thousand percent. I don't need your music and I don't need the way that your music stops making me think that someone has picked up and instead it's just a recording letting me know that my call is very valuable. That's the worst part. Yes. yes. If it would just be continuous music, that'd right. be fine. Not the checking in with you music. Yeah. And they're just throwing it in your face every 30 seconds or whatever that your call is very important to you. Except that every it's time not- they say that, it's clearly not very important to them right. or you wouldn't be hearing the message. I'm a fan of the call me back. Yeah. Which, I have, which I've yet to be burned by. They oh, always really? call back. I haven't, I haven't done that yet because in my mind, they always say, you know, you'll, you'll have your place. And I think, no, I won't. You're sending me to the back of the line. <laughs> it actually, it yeah. Works. I have to say I've done it too, only with airlines. I don't know if there's mm-hmm. other companies that do this, but I mean, there probably are. But yeah, they're, usually they're like, you know, you will receive a call back in 30 minutes. And then that's my attempt to be that voice. That's correct. And then you do receive it. But here's the thing. It's a friggin' recording that you, you say, hello. I'm like, hello, is this? And then it's your voice going, Alison Rosen, 
When Allison Rosen comes online, please press one. It's not even a human that calls you back. Yeah. You call yourself back? It's, yes. It's like you from much. the future. <laughs> from the past. Wow. Yeah. Jam Freaking Tastic says, oh, I don't know if this is national. We'll find out. Hate the cars for kids jingle so much. I turn off the radio or switch stations when it comes on. 100%. Yes, I can't stand it because that, that gets in your head. We used, I used to work for a radio station where it would come on in between when we were on commercials and we would turn off the <laughs> thing inside the booth. Sorry, cars for kids. Yeah, I can't, I can't handle it. I think that Bald Brian likes it. What? Or hates it. But I pretty, I pretty think, I'm pretty sure that he likes it. Damien Cordova, Demian Cordova says, when I give my dog a bath, I just take her in the shower with me. It's easier. Um, I've done that once and Daniel has done that once. For the most part, we are sink or bathtub washers. Um, but yeah. And now you guys are cat people. So yeah, I don't have a dog. So I don't know. I no longer have a cat either because it's been a great year. <laughs> oh, that was this year? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you think you'll get another cat? I think maybe so. I took my daughter to the uh, shelter to see how she would react mm-hmm. because she's a little older and, you know, will actually play with the cats and it turned out i just have a really high maintenance cat already in the form of my daughter because all she wanted to do was play with the cat toys i was like maybe we'll hold off for a while uh let's see maddie porter says again another dog question but i think it applies to other pets think all dogs smell bad except my own i mean no but I don't think all dogs smell bad except Wendy. However, I'm much more okay with Wendy. Like I remember one time Greg was playing with Wendy and he's like, oh, I just felt your dog's breath. Not smelled because she does not have bad breath, but he felt it. And I was like, that's one of the best things in the world, (laughs) feeling hot dog breath on your hand or face. I guess he didn't feel that way. I have to say there was that big smelly dog. I didn't tell the story on air, but there was a big smelly dog that jumped into my car Mm -hmm. uh, a week or so ago. Very smelly dog. And he was a very sweet stray, stray dog. dog. Yeah. And s- very smelly. And and now I smell him in my car occasionally oh. and I miss him. Oh. I was going to say, do, yeah. you, do you think about him? I do. I try not mm. to. It's very sad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I don't have m- many feelings about dog smell either way. Well, at the point being that this dog kind of grew on me. Mm-hmm. So now I, I smell him and I, it, the smell, I mean, the smell is incredibly objectionable. Don't get me wrong. It was very <laughs> musky, yeasty, moldy smell to oh, him that I was Sounds horrified. Like he'd been by. living on the streets for a while. Yeah. He had been outside for a long, long time. Um, but now I smell it and I go, oh, that was that dog. Yeah. My children probably smell. <laughs> it doesn't bother me too much. Maybe you should, maybe he's your dog. <laughs> he was a lot of dog. Yeah. <laughs> he was a lot of dog by any standards. I yeah, I mean he this was This is a stray dog that befriended Jeff and jumped Aww. into his car. Yeah. Like that's a friendly, homeless, stinky that's dog. Sweet. Yeah. He was gigantic. His head was his head was about as big as any of my cats. Wow. And he was running through the park and he almost got hit by a car and then I almost hit him in the street and then he just stopped after I almost hit him and turned around and was like, where are we going? Oh, bless his heart. And jumped in my car. I wish I had a dune buggy, though, because that would have been funny. I would have been like a cartoon, like a big Marmaduke <laughs> dog. Oh, is that what he was? Like a, um... No, but he was that big. He was, yeah. he was like some uh, pit cross between a pit bull and an elephant, like, I think. <laughs> like a mastiff or something. Uh, J. Mose for Aros says, 
Most likely time to drop a call is just before it would end. Never know whether to call back just to say goodbye. Now, is this person saying the most likely time, like a good time to drop a call is just before it ends or? I think he's saying that often calls get dropped just as you're winding down your conversation. I have this problem. I do too. And I call, I was talking to my landlord and we got disconnected and I called back just to like finish up the conversation and say goodbye. And I got her machine. I was like, oh, I guess she didn't want to talk to me. Sometimes I'll usually text the person and be like, well, I was just going to say bye. See ya. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I, 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 I never know what to do with that one. Because the thing is, if you're just calling back to say goodbye, you get sucked into another conversation. If it's my mom. Okay. Master Twink says, manages to eat healthy all day, but then wake up at 2 a.m. and eat all the contents of my fridge in an insatiable, ravenous state. I mean, I have done things like that. That's not like a regular thing I do, but I relate. The regular thing Nibbles does. Yeah. <laughs> Not you, but well, Nibbles. Right, right. Mister, are we talking middle of the night? Yes. Man, like he eats healthy all day and then wakes up at 2 a.m. and eats all the content. So what the I do is I'll wake up thirsty and decide that I need an entire Coke <laughs> at 3 in the morning. <laughs> and it tastes so good. And it's like just a shot of caffeine, sugar, and And then you carbs. go right back to sleep? Usually. I'm mm-hmm. an okay sleeper. Yeah. I'm a decent sleeper. And lastly, L to the Aura says, my biggest pet peeve, unkept promises. Cancel, change plans. It's all good. Just notify me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I tend to be, uh, you guys have talked about personality types on the show a lot, on the Thursday show. I am ENTP, which is a visionary and can be a little flighty. Hmm. Uh, And so I like to give people grace in hopes that they will give grace unto me. (laughs) And I try not to be disrespectful, but I can be a little bit like, I tried to cram in too much today and I'm just going to text you and say like, I'm very, very sorry, but I can't do this. I'm trying to get better about it because I have two humans that I have to manage. uh, And I have gotten better about it since I became a parent, but I try to give other people some some wiggle room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like as long as you let the person know and as long as it's they're not already at the place that you're supposed to be meeting... Yes, I try to avoid that. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't straight up ditch somebody. <laughs> That's that rarely happens. Right. No, if that happens it's just completely forgetting. Yes. Which I don't think I've ever done, but I always kind of live in fear of it. I always sort of have this feeling of like not always, but often like, oh shit, am I supposed to be somewhere right now? Yeah. I have done it, but it's a it's a rarity. It's like happened once or twice. Mm-hmm. And I felt terrible. Have you ever done it involving this is like one of my nightmares? Um, a live TV appearance or anything like that where like you're, you were supposed to be on or you're supposed to be somewhere and it doesn't happen. No, but I did have a tire blowout on the way to a live TV appearance one time and hailed a car on the side of the interstate to take me in because it was O'Reilly's show and I was going to have my butt in that seat <laughs> and people kept stopping and offering to change the tire. I'm like, no, no, no. I know how to change a tire. That's not the point. I've got to go. So take who, me- <laughs> who drove you? It was there, a cab ended up stopping oh, for so me nice. actually. Um, and because I, I didn't want to jump in a car Stranger's with just anybody, car, yeah. but a cab seemed like, okay, we can do this. And I went there and I got some makeup in the chair and I did my hit and I got an Uber back to my car and got the tire changed and moved on. That's quite an adventure. It was. Mary Catherine Ham, thank you so much for coming on the show. Sure. Thank you for talking about everything. Sure. And I, I will do a little PSA, which okay. is especially if you have children, get yourself life insurance and a will. It will make your family's life easier should something happen. And we will always pray that it does not. But that is something that I learned about hashtag adulting. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, it's a really tough time in your life. And if you're having to 
go through a lot of paperwork and a lot of lawyers and a lot of probate court. What is to get um, dumb question? What is probate court? Probate court is just uh, if someone doesn't have a will, there's usually a person it makes sense to give the assets to. Mm-hmm. So I would be that person because I'm the spouse. But it actually has to go through a legal process to do that. Um, if both people's names aren't on stuff. Another good reason to put both your names on things uh, after you get married. So it's just a tough time to deal with that kind of thing. And if you don't have somebody in your life like I did, who was my best friend who just like took control of that process, uh, you will be like, it's just a, it's a tough thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know like Prince died without a will and he has nobody obvious to give everything to. And it is going to be such a nightmare just struggling through that and for everybody while they're grieving. It's just an incredibly tough thing to do. And there's always going to be some of that, but you can make life easier. Mm. That is a good PSA. Yep. And something that I think that people don't want to think to do because it's like, I don't, I don't even want to think about something happening. No, it's a tough thing to think about. People are a little superstitious about it, which I can understand. And like, we were just like, we're dumb and 34, like (laughs) nothing's happening to us. You know, it wasn't, uh, we got earning potential and we're going to be a okay. But, uh, it turned out that we had not made plans. And thankfully a friend of mine started to go fund me for mostly because in that moment I was like, my life is falling apart. I just lost half of our income. What are we going to do? And like, and I had a kid coming and I just like didn't understand how I was going to make things work. Mm-hmm. And a friend did this for me. I would never have done it on my own. And it was the greatest blessing just to have, because people wanted to do something. Yeah. They wanted to help. This was a place for them to do it. Um, and it was such a blessing in our lives just to have like, you're going to be okay. Like this thing has not like, this resource has not been completely removed from your life in this horribly abrupt way with nothing to replace it. Mm-hmm. And it was such a blessing. And I know it's something that many people don't have and I do not discount that at all. And in fact, I try to share other people's GoFundMes for similar situations mm-hmm. because it was so incredibly powerful for us. Yeah. I think there was a goal set, right? And it like hit the goal and then went, yeah, above it went pretty quickly. Yes. And it's for education and all sorts of things that I just had no, like my mind was just like racing. What am I going to do? I mean, within hours, my mind was like, what am I going to do? I've got bills to pay. I got to pay for this kid. And so it was just like, even just for the peace of mind was incredibly powerful. Mm. And that's what life insurance can give you without that. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. Um, Tell everyone, well, wait, we'll go around the table. Follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. Follow show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-M-B-F. Jeff, where should we find you? You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Colonel Jeff Fox. And Mary Catherine, tell them where to find you and plug anything you'd like to plug. Yes, I write at The Federalist. Um, I do some cultural and political stuff. After this change, the many changes I made in my life, um, I felt like doing politics 24-7 was not going to be my jam anymore. And so I switched to doing a little bit more cultural stuff. You can find me there. It's a great website. Uh, And I am on CNN, Jake Tapper show sometimes, the 11 a.m. show, Anderson Cooper show. Check me out. At MK Hammer on Twitter. At MK Hammer Time on Instagram. I'm actually on... Are you on Snapchat? The Snappy now. How, how, when did this happen? It's recent. on the Snappy. <laughs> okay. I gotta I'm, follow you. I'm the MK Hammer. And um, I think that might be it, right? I think. And, and everyone should go out and buy your book. They should buy my book. End of discussion. And Facebook, I'm Mary Catherine. I think it's slash MK Hammer as well. Okay. Thank you again. There's a lot of MK Hammers up in there. Just, you know, <laughs> Google it. It's on my personal website. You'll find it. Right. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? We had a good time, but now 
Lucy. 